Hi, I'm Jason Scores, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. Well, it's been a little over one year since Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine. And I'm going to take some time today to discuss some of the surprising or maybe not so surprising results of the war. But before I do, I want to make clear that I'm not trying to over-intellectualize a horrible situation. I'm not here to play armchair quarterback. I fully get the devastation that is going on. I don't want to come across here as cavalier about all the death and destruction that is underway as we speak. And while there has been plenty of death and chaos in the world, uh, you know, for a very long time, for all of human history, and a lot of it this century was perpetuated by America, mostly in the Middle East, but not exclusively. It is still the truth that what is going on in Ukraine by the Russians is particularly brutal. They are waging a full-on genocidal campaign that is really about as close to Nazism as you can get. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. It's what the Russians say repeatedly, that they are there to either conquer all of Ukraine or wipe them off the map. So this is a genocidal campaign, straight out. And the death and suffering on the Ukrainian side here clearly uh, meets the definition of crimes against humanity, as both Biden and Harris have stated. And I want to make clear that I hope all high-ranking Russian officials who have uh, you know, played a role in these crimes pay for those with their freedom or their life at some point before this war is over. I am very much rooting for Ukraine to crush the Russians. I want to see all of the Russian leadership crushed. And you know, I feel sorry for a lot of the Russian people who are being conscripted to fight in this unjust war, but I want them to lose. And if them losing means them having to be killed in battle for the Ukrainians to be triumphant, then that is then so be it. It's the bad luck of being born in Russia. Um, you know, I would imagine there's probably some ways to resist. And if you're going to die in battle for an unjust cause, maybe you take out an officer or you, you know, you switch to the other side and you, you know, uh, you know, you try to help the Ukrainians. I mean, again, I know this is tough stuff. I'm not in a war zone. I'm sitting in, you know, my office with a cup of tea here. So I get it that, you know, it's easy for me to talk. But the reality is this is an incredibly unjust war. And all of those on the side against Ukraine, I want them to meet a bitter end. Um, and obviously, above and beyond all that, I want this war to come to a, a close soon. Unfortunately, Russia will have to be defeated for that to happen. And so the sooner, the better. Before I go on, I want to say, like all fascists, 
Putin and his cronies project their evil onto others, right? This is a theme that keeps coming up in this podcast, how the right wing projects and accuses others of the exact things it is doing. It's the oldest trick in the fascist playbook. So what are they doing now? And they've been doing this whole year. They're saying that they are trying to denazify Ukraine, which is complete and utter bullshit and 100% the opposite of the truth, as Putin is the true Nazi, right? Zelensky is a Jew, you know, a liberal Jew running Ukraine. Are there elements of Ukrainian society that are far right? Are there individuals in Ukraine that have neo-Nazi sympathies? Of course. But that is, you know, literally the opposite of that. That's every society in the world has that, right? Including America, including France and Germany. But in terms of the actual major participants in this war, Putin is the fascist aggressor and Ukraine is the victim and the righteous defender of its territory and of its society. So again, like all sane people, I hope this war ends soon with Ukraine fully victorious. And I hope that Ukraine retakes the territory in Crimea and completely kicks Russia out of all of its territory. Letting Putin conquer and occupy Ukraine is just simply unacceptable on every level, right? That would usher in, you know, huge, huge repercussions, um, you know, that would be negative across the world, let alone just rewarding him for a war of aggression of this magnitude. So this now brings me to the first surprise outcome of the war to date which is the pride it has engendered in me with respect to Biden and the Democratic Party. This is a very strange position for me to be in because I have never had pride in this country except for a short moment when Obama was elected. That felt great and it really felt for a minute like America would become a true multicultural democracy and that there were large majorities of Americans ready to act like adults and get the nonsense of the George Bush years behind us. As we all know, that didn't last that long, and here we are still battling you know, at the knife's edge for what Joe Biden would say is the soul of America or just a democratic America, a sane America, a non-racist, white supremacist America. But on the foreign policy front, I want to be clear, I was never proud of anything that Obama really did, like I'm proud now to see Biden visit Ukraine in the middle of a war zone in which the U.S. military is not in control. So this is important. Other presidents have visited war zones. Trump went to Afghanistan. Obama went, I think, to Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, Bush went to both. But those were actively controlled by the U.S. military. They flew into to areas of those countries fully controlled by the U.S. military and occupied by large numbers of forces of the U.S. military. Biden went into an active war zone in which that was not the case. The U.S. is not on the ground in Ukraine. Of course, he had some of his Secret Service detail, but he was dependent on, you know, on the, the Ukrainian forces that control the capital there. Right, the American president going into a war zone where the U.S. military is not in control—that was a first, and that was a badass fucking move. Biden is a straight-out badass. 
That was some serious dark Brandon shit right there. And to tell the Russians he was going to be there was extra ninja, right? Telling them they better not try anything. Biden is going to Kiev. We're just giving you a heads up, right? That's the type of strength, that confidence that we're going to tell the enemy that we're going and then they better not do anything. And even though our military is not there, they're going to lay off because you don't fucking touch the president of the United States, right? That's the type of strength people on the right wing in America only dream of, but will never, ever achieve under any circumstances. Because to the last, whether it's George Bush II or Trump or any of these fools, they are cowards and they don't have the real strength of a leader like Biden does. So I urge everyone to watch Biden's remarks in Kyiv. They're in the show notes, the link, and they're a little over nine minutes, so not that long. But it's serious business. And Biden shows incredible clarity and strength in those remarks that made me proud. That he has rallied the democratic world, or most of it, and I'll get to that in the next segment, to Ukraine's side and led this coalition of support is an incredible achievement. Remember, our last president was trying to weaken NATO and was Putin's little bitch, right? So we went from a guy weakening, you know, actively weakening NATO and actively sucking up to Putin to somebody who's rallying the world against Putin and in, 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 in favor of democracy, right? So it makes me proud to see the Democrats pretty much uniformly in support of this. So I'm proud both of Biden and proud to be a Democrat at this juncture in history. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not proud to be an American in this context because I know that if 100,000 votes or so had went the other way in 2020, Agent Orange would still be president and we would have handed Ukraine to Putin and worked to weaken NATO, ushering in a new age of fascism. So we came very, very close to seeing the Western democratic world collapse. Again, about 100,000 votes out of, you know, 155 million cast. So it's not America I'm proud of. America was very close to going down a deep, dark, evil path. But I'm very proud of Biden and the Democrats. And I'm proud on a military front, right, which is very strange for me as a pacifist liberal to feel. Right? It's the first time where the U.S. is fully on the right side in a clear black and white issue of good versus evil. You could maybe say, and I think probably rightly, again, that the Kosovo intervention in the 90s met this criteria, but that was such, such a smaller stakes. Right, It wasn't Russia invading the largest landmass in Europe trying to just straight out commit genocide. Right, Milosevic did horrible evil stuff and the Kosovo stuff was real. But it wasn't at the level um, that we're talking about now. But it is worth just noting that. Now, of course, the military-industrial complex is going to use this as an excuse for more excesses. And, you know, they're going to do horrible shit. And I don't doubt that some of the U.S. military equipment is going to be used for bad things in parts of the world. I hope not. But, you know, if history is any judge, it probably will be. But at least for now, for this moment, Much of the might of the U.S. military is being used for a righteous cause. And that makes me proud. It makes me proud to have a president and a party leading the country with the world's strongest military and putting it to the use that it is in supporting Ukraine against Russia. 
That makes me proud. And again, being proud of our military might, being proud of a, a military coalition and military support in a, in a big war, that is something I've never felt before as an American. You know, and so it's, it's just it's a strange feeling for me. And it's not something that like I want to feel all the time because I don't want there to be war all the time. But for this moment in history, it's important. And I think pride is the right feeling. Right. So to wrap this segment up, you know, Biden is an original gangster and he deserves major, major props, major, major props for his leadership in this conflict. So I'll come back with more right after the break. Ten years ago, I used to listen to rapper flow, talking about the way they rock the mic at the disco. I liked how that stuff was going down. Dreamt about ripping the mic with my own sound. So I tried to write rhymes something like them. My boy said, that ain't you, Ice. That stuff sounds like them. So I sat back, thought up a new track. Didn't fantasize, kicked the pure facts. All the suckers got scared because they was unprepared. Who would tell it how it really was? Who dared? A young brother from the West Coast, L.A. South Central, fool, where the Crips and the blood play. When I wrote about parties, it didn't fit. Yeah, that's it. OG, original gangster. OG, original Okay, so now one of the other unexpected, though maybe not too surprising, results of the Ukraine war is that many developing country democracies throughout Africa, Latin America, and even India, the world's largest democracy, have not sided with Ukraine and they still actively engage mostly economically with Russia. And this is very disappointing, right? Some of this, or maybe most of this, is just naked self-interest, as Russia is now desperate and they're selling their oil and their products at a steep discount. These countries are benefiting from that, and these are poorer nations. They're being they've been hit by COVID, they've been hit by high inflation, and so they are, you know, they're taking what they can get at a discount. And I can't really fault them for this. Right? If you're a poor nation and your your populace is under high inflation and Russia's selling oil at a big discount, you know, that's going to be hard to turn down just for, you know, for moral support of Ukraine. But some of the rhetoric coming out of the leaders around the world shows clearly that it's not just economic self-interest that's at work here. That all of the horrible US foreign policy of the past half century has done real damage to our credibility and the credibility of the West more generally, right? Many g- countries say, you guys invaded Iraq, so what are you talking about, you know, that countries can't be invaded, and, you know, that Russia's the aggressor. You guys invaded Iraq. Now, yeah, Iraq wasn't a democracy, but still, principle of sovereignty, Saddam wasn't threatening you, right? You guys also overthrew democratic governments across the world, in Latin America and Iran, and what are you doing to invest in us? You know, where's the investment that from you like Russia and China? You know, they've been coming and, you know, making investments in us. So now again, a lot of this is self-serving. And even if America didn't have this horrible foreign policy track record, there's, it's very likely that a lot of them still would be buying some of that oil and still dealing with Russia, given the economic situation they're in. But there is no doubt that some of their kind of skepticism of this coalition in support of Ukraine reflects sincere beliefs, right? You know, and after all, 
how are these countries to know that in two years that we won't just vote for another fascist or even Trump again, right? And so they, they're hedging their bets, right? They're not joining our coalition because they've seen the double standards that we con- consistently employ, and they don't want to get played again if U.S. leadership suddenly shifts to the right in two years, right? This is both sad and understandable, right? The U.S. has been inconsistent and often horrible in our foreign policy, and this is a real cost, right? If we had never invaded Iraq or overthrown democratic governments in Chile and Honduras and Iran, it's likely that there would be more countries strongly supporting Ukraine and joining our coalition and imposing greater costs on Russia. So this is just a clear, direct line from bad foreign policy decisions to lost credibility to a weakened coalition. It's sad also to see our allies in Africa and Latin America not come out forcefully in support of Ukraine, right? And not have the ability to separate our own hypocrisy from Russia's imperial and immoral actions, right? Fortunately, Europe is united. Even the fascist leader in Italy and even, you know, the autocrat Orban in Hungary, you know, at least nominally are supporting the war against, you know, Russia. But our coalition would be stronger if our foreign policy hadn't been so bad these past 50 years. So my hope is that presidents from Biden on, will follow in these footsteps and build a long, consistent track record of progressive U.S. foreign policy going forward that help, will help us regain trust around the world. One final surprise outcome from this war is how it's helped to advance the green energy transition. Many predicted that it would do the opposite. As people now will go, oh my God, oil prices through the roof. We got to just drill, baby, drill everywhere and, and revamp, you know, get those coal power plants doubled, you know, double down on those. Um, and, you know, do everything we can to meet the gaps in the energy supply caused by the war. But what these people didn't realize is that renewables are simply cheaper all around the world now. So everyone is doubling down on new energy supplies, but it's mostly renewables. And this is going to have huge ramifications going forward. It will take a couple of years for this shift to electric vehicles and heat pumps, right, to make a significant dent in fossil fuel demand. But even a few percentage points is going to matter a lot in tight markets. So again, as this rush to electrify our energy system and then use renewables to generate that electricity, that's going to weaken fossil fuel demand. And this means that while energy markets will remain volatile for the near term because of this war and we're in a transition period, the power of the petrostates and the petro corporations has likely peaked. Right In our lifetime, it has peaked and will only go down and weaken from here. This is a huge and welcome development, both for the climate crisis and the democracy crisis, as most petrostates are autocratic or straight-out fascist like Russia. This is a huge cause for celebration. And again, I wish the Ukraine war had never happened, but at least this is one positive outcome that has come from it. And again, a big cause for celebration. So I'll come back with the antidote right after the break.
Okay, so the antidote for today is I'm recommending that you allow yourself to feel some pride like I do in the president for his support of Ukraine. And even more, feel some pride in the strength of our military, even despite all the evil it has done. It's great to see the U.S. military being put to use supporting the underdog. This is America at its best, supporting the vulnerable against the aggressor, the peaceful against the bullies. And we should feel pride, not jingoistic, nationalistic, you know, empty flag-waving pride, but pride of being able to help people in need and come to their aid. They're doing all of the fighting, the Ukrainians, but at least we're playing a decisive supporting role, and I think we should take pride in that. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please rate it. Share it with family, friends, and colleagues. You can subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, everybody, have a great rest of the week. Take care. Be safe.